welcome to another episode of Watch the Game, presented by the Nation Network. I'm your host, Sam Blazer, and I'm joined by managing editor of Habs Eyes on the Prize, Mark Dumont. Mark, how are you doing today? Not too bad, Sam. Thanks for having me on. Of course. That pronunciation wasn't too bad, was it? That was pretty darn good for a first time. I'll give you that. <laughs> thank you. Thank There's you. There's room for improvement, though. There's always room for improvement. That means I'm going to have to have you on a couple more times. That's what that exactly. means. Exactly. So obviously the big news of the day in uh, you know Canadians land is what happened with uh, Michelle Therrien. Michael McCarran. <laughs> right? Right, exactly. No, okay. uh, Michelle Therrien and uh, Claude Julian. So I, the question I have for you is how shocking was that Julian move in the context of the re- recent NHL history? It seemed like it, you know, made a lot of sense, but it was it was a sudden like a pipe dream for a while with Bergeron and um you know, Terrian's relationship. What was the overall reaction in Montreal to the move? Well, I'll tell you, Sam, I was on TSN the day before and the day of before it happened. And they asked me my opinion. And I said, there's absolutely no chance this happens uh, with the caveat of they absolutely should consider it, you know, especially the timing. There's certain parameters in Montreal that have to be filled, and obviously one of them is an issue no other team in the NHL, and and arguably in the world, except for a few football teams, or soccer teams, sorry, uh, have to deal with, and that's the language issue. So Claude Julien checked all those boxes. Uh, it, It doesn't surprise me that they considered it, but honestly, it really does surprise me that they pulled the trigger, just because, uh, in my opinion, this is something that should have been done last year if you were considering it at this point. So uh, you heard Darren Dreger say it wasn't going to happen. You heard Bob McKenzie saying it wasn't going to happen. You heard Pierre Lebrun saying it wasn't going to happen. All the talking heads that are connected had no idea this was going to happen. In fact, they all said it, it, it low chances. So huge shock. I thought it was actually uh, a prank that someone was pulling on me when they told me Julien got hired. I thought it was from you know, 12 years ago. And, uh, but the vibe amongst Montreal Canadiens fans is excitement. And there's some confidence coming back to the general manager, especially since it was completely shook this summer with what went on with uh, P.K. Subban and Shea Weber. So lots of good things. Uh, It's better late than never. But let's not throw too much praise towards Marc Bergevin here because it seems like loyalty got in the way of a good business decision for at least half a year. That's the way I look at it. For sure. Well, it's interesting enough, uh, after the Blue Jackets, I'm a big Blue Jackets fan, obviously being in Columbus, Ohio, uh, after the eight eight losses in a row, uh, I recorded a podcast and I said, the rumor was, you know, John Tortorella is going to be hired. And I said, there's absolutely no way. The season's already, you know, in the shitter. There's, this isn't going to happen. It'd be like basically just a burnt year for him. And literally less than 12 hours later, after I put that out, uh, John Tortorella got hired. And I got, of course, you know, naturally, I got yeah. multiple messages saying, you're such an idiot. I can't believe you think that, that you thought this wasn't going to happen. And I'm like, oh my God. You. If there's one thing I've learned in sports, it's that none of us know a single thing. Let's be honest here. Uh, if a team wants to leak something, they'll do it, but they're doing it for their own gain. It's not because it's something that they want 
they don't want private information to get out. They want the information they selected to get out. So there's there's heavy media control these days. And, uh, you know, we can all assume what would happen logically, but that's not how a lot of owners and GMs work. Heck, I even said John Tortorello was my pick this year to get fired first. He was absolutely my pick. Now I'm thinking he might be headed for a Jack Adams. So, again, none of us know a single darn thing. <laughs> exactly. It's just best guesses here. So th- then yeah. I have to ask you this. What, what do you think the true impact is of someone like Julian? Uh, you know, I've been talking about coaches impact a lot recently on the podcast. I feel like that might be one of the next uh, frontiers, yeah. and, you know, numbers is that, you know, wins almost wins above replacement when you put a coach in a certain spot. So what do you think? Do you think it's a few wins overall that Julian adds or do you think it's an intangible upgrade that we really can't know? Well, I think we will see a tangible upgrade, Sam. Um, I know Rob Volman a few years ago was working on a sort of a war stat for coaches. And he was saying in his preliminary work, a coach can bring you up to five regulation wins in a year, which to me is ridiculous. So that's a, a gigantic number. A, a good coach, let's say above average. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially when we look at it from a business standpoint, the salary cap is great for parity. It's not fun for excitement. But one of the areas where a team like the Rangers or the Canadians or the Maple Leafs can really take advantage of is their budget. And bringing in a coach at $5 million a year isn't always possible for certain franchises. But if you can bring in a coach and it doesn't cost you salary cap, but it gains you wins, to me, that is absolutely a home run. And I'm hoping that's what we'll see with the Canadians. Right now, there's a huge discrepancy with Montreal's shot control, which they've been arguably one of the best teams in the NHL this year, and their high-danger scoring chances, arguably one of the weaker teams in the NHL this year. Uh, So what's happening is that, yes, the Canadians are throwing a ton of pucks on net, but there's absolutely no creativity in the offensive zone. Uh, There's no movement. The goalies don't have to move. They're shooting mostly off the rush, which works when you're a guy like Max Pacioretty, who's uh, criminally underrated, one of the best goal scorers that's not named Ovechkin. But it works for him, but not for most players. So Claude Julien should instill more creativity in the offensive zone. And hopefully we see the shot attempts start to align with the scoring chance control. Because right now, the Canadians simply aren't creating enough high-danger scoring chances. And they're allowing a lot. So I'm looking for a better system in terms of controlling the puck entering the offensive zone. Something the Canadians absolutely cannot do. And defensively, I'd like to see them work uh, a better system in terms of helping out Carey Price. We talk about Carey Price's struggles this year, but his even strength save percentage is still among the best in the NHL. What's happening is he's getting destroyed on the penalty kill, and there's way more high-danger chances again against. So essentially, Claude Julien has a really good base to work with. He just has to iron out the details in terms of <laughs> offensive, defensive, and neutral zone strategy. That's it. That that's all he has yeah, to fix. On, only only a tiny bit there. But do you think yeah. you, you brought up Price? You brought up Pacioretty. Do you, who do you think the player is going to benefit the most under Julian? Is it going to be Price? Because it seems like some of the younger players may end up getting uh, a little bit of a bump from this as well. You know, new voice in the room. You know, so, so, some of that uh, almost coaches speak there. It, who do you think that's going to be? Uh, well, I think Price will uh, get a huge bump in his numbers once they settle down the penalty kill. Because interestingly enough, the Canadians have uh, two goalies that have really good even strength numbers and Price and Montoya, but they're amongst the league worst 
for uh, penalty kill save percentage. So it's clearly a system issue there. You don't go from being top three even strength to bottom three penalty kill uh, by choice, right? Mm -hmm. So I do think Price will benefit there. But really, the guy that must be counting as lucky stars right now is Alex Galchenyuk. No other coach, in my opinion, would have kept someone who's destined to be a number one center on the wing for most of his career and then get upset once he has a few turnovers. The perception is that Alex Galchenyuk's not a good defensive player, but when you look at his numbers, uh, since his return, which is arguably his struggle, he allows about uh, two scoring chances per 60 when he's on the ice, which is ridiculously low. It, it absolutely dominates anyone else on the team right now. So he's actually creating a little less. And I think one of the main issues with taking his coaching is that he prefers stability over creativity. What that means is safe over trying to actually score goals. In the long run, that's not the safest approach. I get why coaches do it, but in Galchenyuk's mm -hmm. case, you have to let him run. You know what I mean? This guy is destined to be your number one center. The Canadians haven't had one for the longest time. He's their highest points per 60 producer, uh, highest primary uh, per 60 even strength producer. He's, he's really a talented player that just has to be trusted. For sure. And, you know, Another player, I don't know if they're going to really necessarily benefit from it because he's already playing so darn well. But Max Pacioretty seems to be, and you brought this up, constantly underrated oh, yeah. for what he does in the league and for the Canadians. Uh, for those that don't watch the team often, could you try to put like into context what his contributions are for the team or you know, possibly his con uh, almost like historically as well? Because I feel like a lot of times people don't understand because, I mean, obviously he ended up getting the captaincy uh over Subban at the time and a lot of people kind of scratch their heads but I think there was something to that considering what he does as a player and do what what do you think of him because I feel like his goal scoring has been constantly underrated I think I forget the metric it was but the amount of goals that he's scoring is up there with like you know Ovechkin and, some, yeah. and someone else I forget the exact it yeah, may have actually been your tweet strength. yeah he is, uh, even strength he's scoring as much as Ovechkin a power play is not as great uh, but again, I, I don't like to look at things that are system dependent. Mm -hmm. uh, he scores about 15 to 20% of Montreal's even strength goals every year. So he's a volume shooter. And obviously that comes with the downfall that you'll go five games without a goal. And then you'll go, uh, you know, six games with six goals. But from the actual production standpoint, Max Pacioretty has been almost as valuable as Carey Price in terms of wins over replacement recently. He is by far their best offensive threat in the last five years. And it just shows by how many shots he puts on net. He's not a, uh, a guy that will beat a goalie due to how quick his shot is or how perfectly placed it is. It's how quick his release is. His shot itself isn't that fast, but his release, it comes off his stick so quickly. And he shoots a lot off the rush on a nice angle where the goalie isn't quite set. The goalie has to decide at that point, am I sliding over here to stop uh, a one-timer or am I going to square up? Patretti's release is so fast that he doesn't allow goalies to square up. So uh, statistically speaking, he's been one of the most dominant forwards in the NHL since the lockout. And we're looking at Ovechkin, Pavelski, Max Patretti. So for a team... Uh, for, for playing on a team that was coached by Michel Therrien that absolutely does not encourage offensive creativity, I think Max Pacioretty has been among the elite in the NHL. And he rarely gets mentioned as so, which is 
quite unfortunate. Also, we can talk about how he's probably the best goals to dollars ratio in NHL history. His contract is ridiculously reasonable at $4.5 million. So Claude Julien is actually going to make more than Max Pacioretty next season. It's kind of mind-blowing when you think about it overall. I mean, you also have like the Tavares contract, which is like absolutely Which is the only one I'd say is close, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's just right up there with, wow, I can't believe they pulled this off. And I feel like that yeah. might be part of the reason why Garth Snow over there is getting a little bit of runway. But, you know, that's that's an entirely different team and that's an entirely different conversation. So we'll... It's worth <laughs> noting that Petretti fired his agent, so... Interesting. Interesting. Shortly after he signed that contract, he fired his agent. Hey, I mean, <laughs> look at it this way: it's twenty-seven million dollars over six years, which is nothing to to balk at. Mm-hmm. But I can make the argument that Max Pacioretty is an eight million dollar player, very, very easily. Just looking at uh, his shot control, even shot suppression is really good. He plays on the penalty kill. This guy, and he has really deceptive speed as well. We laugh, but if he doesn't get a, a breakaway every game. We know something's up with Max Pacioretty. So it's also worth noting he played with a broken foot for a month this year, which I, I think is silly. But that was his struggle to start the year. And he's still, I think he's only behind Sidney Crosby for goals this year. So goes to show he's an elite talent that is incredibly underrated. Without a doubt, without a doubt. Now, on the other side of the spectrum here, uh, one of the shocking moves of the offseason was when the Canadians picked up Andrew Shaw. It uh it was something that they wanted to add some, you know, some grit, some truck, truckiness to the team. And, you know, what, how would you say that it's worked out for the, them at overall? It was an odd move at the time, but it seems to, in a lot of times, it brings negative attention to the team. Do you think overall it's worth it? Or how has he been as a Canadian thus far? Let's say if we remove the tantrums and the insults toward referees from the equation, Andrew Saw has been okay. Just okay. I, his, he's looking, I think he's running at about a 53% course C4 score adjusted. Um, although the, the entire team is, right? Don't forget the Canadians, right? They're, they're about 54% last I checked. So relative to the rest of his team, he's a bit of a minus in terms of shot control. Uh, his production hasn't quite been there. And that's the issue for me is that for $4 million, uh, he's a third line player, basically. And the Canadians would have, in my opinion, been way better off with Lars Eller playing center on the third line for less money because Lars Eller is, uh, I like to call him Bergeron light, 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 light. You know, I don't want, I don't want to compare him to Bergeron, but like for a third line shutdown center, he's going to put up 15 goals a year. He's going to rock almost a 60% Corsi four. That is money well spent. So I think the Canadians are worse off trading. I know it wasn't a trade one for one, but getting rid of Eller and bringing in Shaw. And honestly, I don't see Shaw at the end of his six-year contract even being with the Canadians. Some fans on Eyes on the Prize suggested don't use an uh, expansion protection spot on Andrew Shaw. The logic is no one would claim him. His contract is too much. He doesn't bring enough in terms of points. And if intangibles won Stanley Cups... Uh, you know, we'd have uh, 30 teams a year lifting the, the silverware. <laughs> you know what I mean? You exactly. win Stanley Cups. It's guys like Patrick Kane dominating offensively. It's guys like Taves shutting people down, although he gets a little too much credit for his work. Mm-hmm. But you know what I mean? Like this idea that you can will your way to a Stanley Cup, in my mind, is absolutely silly. Cup experience is great. But let's say we're statistically speaking here. If you win one Stanley Cup in your career, 
there are very low odds you'll ever win another one. So if you're going to look at it that way, you could actually factually say once you won a cup, that cup experience is now worth absolutely nothing because stats show you're probably never going to win one again. You know what I mean? So I don't want to discount all intangibles. I think they have some certain value. But when it comes to Shaw, the tangible parts that we can see are simply not worth it. No, undoubtedly. I mean, that's how uh, you know Dave Boland got the contract that he did <laughs> yeah, with yeah. The, the Panthers. It was absolutely unbelievable. And I think anyone, Clarkson. Uh, yeah, Clarkson as well. You know, and there's also there's just you you can't put anything on what has happened there. And of course, uh, you know, of course, to bring it back to the Blue Jackets once again for me, one of the uh, conversations that took place when Brandon Saad uh, came to the team was the cups in the room. Uh, argument now and, and i think everyone was kind of rolling their eyes because it's kind of like the guy's already won two and he's not even 22 yet <laughs> it, it was, it's unbelievable yeah. that he was already at this point in time and now like obviously he's doing very well for the team but you can't really put that on anything i mean it's I, just I, the way it is i went back and i looked from i think from 1976 there's been about uh 20 players that have won a cup with a second team so less than one per year and how many GMs per year talk about acquiring cup experience? Oh, so. it's it's unbelievable! It's unbelievable how many times those conversations take place, considering like when it, how much it actually ends up happening. And um, it's a team event, so yeah, it's kind of like it talking about wins for a goalie. You know what I mean? It, it, it's absolutely irrelevant in terms of how you identify the value of a player. Now, if you have player A and player B that are identical in terms of actual production per sixty and shot control and shot suppression, yeah, go with a guy that has cup experience. I think that. That's what it is. It kind of pushes them over the edge, mm-hmm. but it shouldn't be the first thing you circle. And in this case, Marc Bergevin oversaw Shaw in Chicago, and he really fell in love with him. Uh, you can tell. I mean, the, the Habs in Chicago have been doing a lot of trades. Obviously, we saw it work out with Dano. It didn't work out with Shaw. But uh, Marc Bergevin tends to have a romantic view on a lot of the players that he worked with in Chicago. And I think he relates them to actually winning Stanley Cups. So... Uh, and his, I don't think he's wrong, but you need the talent first and foremost. So that was where Marc Benjamin went off the rails a little last year by foregoing talent to bring in intangibles. And again, Sam, I don't want to sound ignorant. Intangibles have a value. Uh, we'll never be able to say what, but you can't tell me that they have more value than something tangible. That's just absolutely ridiculous. Now, another pickup for the front office there was Paul Byron. Um, he's been a fun player. He's fast as all get out. And I feel like he's another under the radar player for a first place team in the Atlantic. It's unbelievable how many underrated players are on the Canadians. Because I feel yeah. like for a period of time, you know, PK Subban was PK Subban and like he kind of took all of the headlines. And I think that was almost a good thing for the rest of the team considering, you know, that they were able to slide under and, you know, be great players in their own yeah. right. He was a lightning rod. Yeah, for sure. And but what do you think about Paul Byron? What do you think about his future in the league? Because he's, I mean, when I've gotten to see him play, I, he's absolutely electric, and he's, you know, one one of the fastest players in the league. I think, at least in what, in what I've seen, is that his yeah. getaway speeds out out of this world. What do you think of him? Um, well, first I have to laugh at the Flames for that because if right. I remember correctly, they kept Brandon Bolig over Paul Byron. Oof, oof. Yeah, and we have our. Um, our friends over, it was uh, Mike Fail that wrote it, I believe, the value of uh, Byron there. And he was talking about, hey, listen, I, he's a fourth liner. We all get that. But he was doing good considering, right? The production wasn't there. Paul Byron had 
a five-on-five production that was similar to George Peros when the Canadians claimed him. Uh, his five-on-five production has actually gone up by leaps and bounds this year. But he's also been used in a top six situation. So it's really dependent on his ice time. I don't think he's a top six player, in all honesty. Mm-hmm. But slotting him in on the third line, that type of speed absolutely changes the game. He forces defenders to back off. He essentially makes that the opposing players can only really commit one or two players deep. Or else the puck's going to go the other end and fast. So in terms of a waiver pickup... I would arguably say, and, and this is temporary, right? Because we don't know how he's going to go for the rest of his life. So he doesn't compare to guys like Martin Saint-Louis or, or mm-hmm. any other quality guy that was claimed off waivers. But I'd say he, in the last 10 years, he's probably the best waiver pickup in the NHL. And uh, I have to give props to Marc Bergevin for, for deciding to go grab him. Uh, just because at the time... I thought the term was too much, and I really didn't think much other than him being a special teams player. That's how he was in my mind. I looked at it a little like football. You know, he's really good on the penalty kill, and if you go three-on-three, he'll outskate anyone else, but five-on-five, he struggled. This year, he's rectified the five-on-five play, so nothing but good things from Paul Byron. And in terms of dollars spent to points ratio, he's up there for the Canadians. He's just behind Philippe Dano in terms of best value for his contract. He's one of those players, and I've been kind of banding about this idea and talking with some of the people uh, I work with at Buckeye State Hockey. We were talking about how on a third line, you know, right there, that, that top nine there, the you could have like almost put a, a unicorn type player in there and you can yeah. take advantage in a certain role. So say when the Penguins picked up Carl Hagelin and it just like mm-hmm. put them in another level. I feel like that's kind of what Byron brings in that same right where it's like, you know, put them against it, put them in an advantageous situation and yeah. you're going to get great results. And I feel like that's something that, you know, isn't necessarily numbers oriented, but you know, if you have someone who is, you know, six foot four and can skate like the Dickens, uh, and you know, run into anybody in sight, that's something that you know is also I feel like valuable in that top nine who also pitches in goals and stuff like that, because you know, it's just so different from what the rest of your lineup is that it it, it does have some value, but that's also once again kind of like when I was talking about like a, a coach war of some sort that you don't really know where, where that that value uh is laid in there well with the canadians it's interesting i think a lot of the nhl is heading this way it's not you know how we used to say top six bottom six Mm -hmm. i don't think that's a thing anymore in the nhl i honestly think you have top three middle six bottom three or even in a lot of cases just top nine bottom three we're seeing ice time being a little more even especially in the montreal canadians case the there's no point in numbering the lines anymore because on any given day, if the third line, who is often used in exploitation role, as you said, there's value there, will get almost as much ice time as the second line. And the first line will get maybe one or two shifts. You know, We're talking about a minute and a half more. So it's become more of a balanced uh, attack for the Montreal Canadiens. And that's something that Michel Therrien did actually reasonably well. Uh, he's lucky enough that this year he picked up a winger that he didn't develop. The Canadians drafted several years ago. He de- developed in Sweden, uh, playing for Frolunda by the name of Arturi Lekanen. And he's done an absolutely amazing job tying together that top nine because not only does he create offense, 
this guy is a workhorse defensively speaking and on the wing. So he actually plays when the Canadian centerman on that third line or if he's on the second line goes too deep. Lekkanen is the first guy back. He protects his center and he actually trained to do that, specifically do that for Frolunda when he was a rookie. So he's one of the uh, unheralded players that is leading to the Montreal Canadiens controlling most of the shots this year. And it's not often that a rookie, especially in Montreal, especially a European rookie, will come in and make an impact. But that's exactly what's happened with Lekkanen. Now, we have to keep in mind he's been playing pro since he's 16. He was in the Liga when he was 16 years old. So this is actually his sixth year playing professional hockey, first in the NHL. But uh, in terms of uh, actual primary even strength goals, he's up there with uh, the best rookies in the NHL this year. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Now, I feel like anytime you talk about the Canadians, it, you have to talk Shea Weber, yeah. P.K. Subban, and things like that. But I'm actually going to toss that to the side. I've, I've heard enough Good. of it. I, I know I, I've heard all the commentary there, and I, I'm not really a big fan. But another player that I want to talk about that I feel like needs some you know, talk overall and has kind of gotten lost in the mix is uh, Alexander Radulov. And he's yeah. he's up there with his production, you know, second on the team in points. What what has he done, and has he been a pleasant surprise? What what do you think of him as, you know, a long term piece with the Canadians overall? Where where does he fit in? He wasn't a surprise to me, Sam, just because I keep a pretty close eye on what goes on in the KHL, and I had mm-hmm. seen him more or less dominate the KHL. His scoring record just fell actually this year, but uh, when you're way above a point per game player in the KHL it's nothing but good things and and not just when he played with uh, CSK Moscow when he was playing with Salavat uh, Ulyev which I just butchered their name you know he was at about 1.5 points per game you know so to me the key asset for Radulov what he does if you watch any Montreal Canadiens game he's the only player that uh, will go out of his way to produce a controlled entry. He fought Michel Therrien on that because Michel Therrien is not a big fan of controlled entries. He sees them as risky as opposed to uh, having a potential to create a lot of offense. What Radulov does so well is I call it the Mario Lemieux factor. Okay, And, and I'm not comparing, comparing him to Lemieux, but he slows down play to the point that he uh, screws up the timing for all the defensemen. So right before he goes to hit the zone, he will speed up incredibly. And then the second the defenders back off, he hits the brakes and creates almost half a, an offensive zone of space for his wingers. And his, he actually plays as a centerman in the, in the forward zone, even though he's a winger. So he creates a ton of space by backing off the defenders and allowing scoring chances for his players. And that's the biggest asset for the Canadians. Radulov is creative. He controls the puck and he makes space in the offensive zone. I'm not surprised at all. I had really high faith in Radulov. But the question remains is how much money do you give a guy that is on the wrong side of 30? Yeah. We know it's a young man's league and Radulov will probably be looking for a long-term contract here. Uh, he won't get another good shot at a free agency anytime soon. So the Canadians have to balance whether or not he's a guy they want to invest in considering Kerry Price's contract is up soon, Max Pacioretty's contract is up soon, Alex Galchenyuk needs to be re-signed soon. So there's a lot of big decisions here. And even though Radulov brings value and Price obviously brings value, I'm not ready to say that you should sign both of them long-term. I'm going to say wait to see how the season goes and reevaluate from there, basically. Just because the Canadians are in a win-now mode. But, you know, there's always the issue of giving a six-year contract to someone that's 30 years old, you're paying for past 
uh, performance as opposed to uh, future potential. For sure. And with a player like him, you have to almost determine if he is going to be someone that performs well into the 30s. And I think... I'm not going to cite the article correctly, but I remember it's a certain percentage of players that actually perform up to their contract well into their 30s. And it's like the almost the generational players. And I'm not saying yeah. that, uh, you know, Radulov isn't, you know, fantastic in his own right. But he's not up there. No. Exactly. And so you, you, you're kind of like having to weigh the options and you want to try to possibly get, uh, you know, three-year contract and do something like that. So you can still have him on the team, but then, you know, on his end, why would he want to do that if he has an option elsewhere? He's yeah. got to determine and, whether or not his, uh, his value is best at in, in Montreal. Yeah, and you're, uh, you're absolutely right. You'll never get really good value there. But again, that's kind of how every job market goes, regardless. Yeah. <laughs> you're paid for past experience. Uh, but the thing with Radulov is we have to consider his speed, which is obviously an intangible factor here. We don't know exactly how fast he is, but he's not the fastest guy on the ice. Mm -hmm. And foot speed is a legitimate issue for players as they get older. So uh, I look at that and I say, I I don't know if he's going to be able to compete in three or four years. Uh, His shot production is not that high. He's really not a volume shooter. He's he's more of a pass-first player as well. So the good news is that his vision and his creativity should only actually improve as he as he gets older. So it's balancing the pros and the cons. I don't think you'll get great value signing him long term, but I think you'll get okay value for the first few years. And when it comes to signing a guy over 30, that's more or less the best you can hope for unless he's called Sidney Crosby. <laughs> true. Very true. Uh, <laughs> final question for me, Mark. Uh, this is kind of, uh, you know... <laughs> A broad question, and it's going to be tough for you, I guess, to put an exact answer on it. But what is going to be considered a a successful year for the Canadians? They've experienced all kinds of regular season success. Is it Stanley Cup or die for this team? I mean, they just put a new coach in. It's it's tough to really put where the uh, you know know where the expectations are. Expectations are Stanley Cup, and the reason why is uh, we didn't really talk about it, but you just traded the face of your franchise, one of the elite players in the NHL that drives offense like no one else for a guy that has a lot of character. Uh, you brought in a new coach to help your former coach, which that was Kirk Muller as an assistant. So essentially at one point, Michel Therrien had four assistants or five assistants. You know, They kept trying to... Uh, they got rid of uh, just a boatload of players that he didn't like. Uh, they did absolutely everything they could to help Michel Therrien, and then they didn't fire him. So now that they fired them. They don't get gain any grace period due to that. That's just putting them back on track. There's a new coach. They have arguably the best goalie in the league. He's not playing at his best this year, but it's still Kerry Price. You have Max Pacioretty, one of the best goal scorers in the NHL. You have Alex Galchenyuk, who is criminally underrated. This guy was top 10 scoring before his injury. And uh, he's been developed as a winger, even <laughs> though this is his first year as a center, right? So you have a ton of a skill there. You have... Uh, Radulov, Gallagher, in terms of offensive potency, there's a lot of skill on that line. You still have Shea Weber, who, in my opinion, is incredibly overrated, but he's a good he's a good defenseman. Don't get me wrong. I just don't think he's a lead or top 10, or and I wouldn't have him on Team Canada. But he's doing pretty darn good alongside Alexi Emelin. He's eating 30 minutes a night, and he's eating tough minutes. Then you have a guy like Markov and Petrie, who, in terms of driving offense, have been doing a fantastic job. So... In my opinion, fans will settle for nothing less than at least conference finals or Stanley Cup because this is a culmination of five of a five-year plan. And there's been a lot of promises from the Montreal Canadiens. 
Uh, fans have been asked to be patient, to give the benefit of the doubt. Well, that's gone at this point. We all know how impatient Montreal Canadian, well, just Canadian fans in general are. But in Montreal, Sam, we're now at uh, over 20 years without a Stanley Cup. And that is starting to actually become an embarrassment for a franchise that, you know, poise themselves on success. So they have to stop talking about history and start making history. That's the way most fans are looking at it. And I, mean, I don't really blame them in that in that right. Is it, when you have some uh, organizational expectations and uh, not necessarily uh, unlimited coffers, but I mean it, it's there, <laughs> and it's almost similar to the uh, Maple Leafs in that fact that they are. You know, it's you got to win a Stanley Cup there. It's not going to be considered a success. But, you know, and the issue with the Canadians is you look down their pipeline. They have one blue chip prospect in Mikhail Sergachev who. I I've watched him play anytime he uh, he's playing in, in Ontario in the OHL near near where I live. I will drive down to watch him play because he reminds me of PK Subban. But other than him, the Canadians don't have any other blue chippers. Uh, their prospect pool is quite weak. Their prime their prime players, other than Galchenyuk, are all between 28 and 32. So the time is now. They have to strike while the iron's hot. The next step after this is a complete rebuild for the Montreal Canadiens. And that's really tough to convince the fans to go through. So they uh, essentially have to go for it now because the window is open. Yeah, and it's not it's not going to be open for much longer. Well, Mark, I, I really appreciate the conversation today. Where can we find you on Twitter? Where can we find your writing? Uh, where can we find you any, any other time when you're not uh, you know, on those two mediums? Uh, yeah, so on Twitter, I'm at uh, Mark Piedsmont, M-A-R-C-P-D-U-O. D-U-M-O-N-T at uh, Twitter, but you can just search for Mark Zmo and I'll show up with that blue check mark there. Uh, I'm on TSN 690 three days a week. Uh, I also host some shows on there as well. And if not, you can read our stuff on Habs Eyes on the Prize. We have extensive coverage of the Michel Terrien claude Julien saga going on now. So for uh, this was supposed to be the Montreal Canadiens bye week. And we were worried about how much content we were going to have. So it's they been nothing e- but good news. They made it easy on you guys. And it's funny because, I, you know, I talked to all the radio guys, all the print guys, all the TV guys, and we were all kind of wondering, oh, God, what are we going to do here? And we couldn't really talk about trades because the Canadians were in a downward spiral. So this really puts everyone at ease and, and, and it really helps the media outlets. So I'm not complaining. Piping hot content. Awesome, Mark. I appreciate you coming on. All right. Have a good day. Thanks. 